Hello, welcome to the Mag Life Podcast. I'm here with a great guest today. You guys will be really excited to hear that we're going to have Sergeant Major Kyle Lamb on. He's here right now. Calm down. It's all right. Uh, he spent 21 years in the U.S. Army, 19 of which in Special Forces, 15 of that uh, in the Army's most elite unit. Uh, he has his hands on all sorts of things out there. He's authored books. Uh, he's been on television. Uh, and he runs one of the most respected training companies in the game, as well as a nonprofit to help uh, a lot of people out there. We'll tell you more about that here shortly. Uh, thank you, everybody out there, for joining the conversation, because that's exactly what this is going to be. Kyle, how are you? Good, good, man. Doing good. Man, glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. So we've, Kyle and I have met uh, a couple times. I'm at a SIG thing and a 511 thing and some stuff. We just shook hands. Maybe I stood in the same circle while he was making everybody laugh around everybody. And... Uh, <laughs> Well, I've never actually talked to you one-on-one, so I'm really excited about that. And uh, I think every time that I, I speak to, to someone, I would say, like you, not that there's a lot of people like you, I usually end up learning a lot. And people end up sending me messages saying that they learned a lot. And uh, so uh, even if it's different perspectives, so that's awesome. Um, so I'm going to read this little thing I wrote for, for planning all this. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I don't have anything anywhere close to the level of notoriety as the infamous Sergeant Major Kyle Lamb, uh, <laughs> but I often listen to people as they read my bio, introducing me on videos or as a podcast guest, and I'm always sitting there thinking, like, man, this bio sucks, and it doesn't sound anything like me, or it doesn't actually expose who I really am. It just says that thing that I did in the past for a little bit or whatever, um, and I hate that. I, like, I always think I got to go back and rewrite that thing to explain who I am and get rid of all this crazy BS stuff that's temporary and doesn't matter. Um, so that's what we're going to do right here. Just uh, a couple of formal, former active duty guys uh, that like books and stories and other things, kind of getting to know each other. And um, without further ado, I'll uh, All right. So, so first, we're, we're going to start. We're going to take this thing over real quick. Yes. Before we go anywhere, we're going to go point by point through your 46 points. <laughs> and you're going to explain oh, the, yourself on every one of them. Oh, from the 50 things article? Dude, I, I'm going to tell you, man. I mean, that's very, very inspirational. And it's, you know, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your skirt, but it's, it's, uh, you know, for a guy like me, we're, we're out there. I'm, I do very similar stuff to what you do with, with some writing and then uh, some podcasting and, you know, all the same kind of stuff, teaching folks to shoot, trying to be a positive influence on the next generation or maybe not the next generation, but the one before that, you know, that comes after that or the one that comes after that. Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, when you can write a list like that and a 53 year old dude that's been in the military for a long time can read it and go, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right on, man. I mean, that's, that was, I hadn't seen that before. And, uh, um, your, uh, illustrious friend there, Dave reader sent that to me. And I don't, I, I honestly, I, I guess it's a bad thing to say, but I don't do much surfing on the internet. I don't watch TV. Um, I got too much stuff going on that I can't, I just, I read a lot of books, but I don't, I just don't spend a lot of time surfing the web and whatever. Cause normally if I do that, it takes me down a somewhat negative bunny trail. Yes. And um, dude, absolutely. It does. 
So reading what you wrote, it was all positive. There's not one thing there that's negative. And I just wanted to tell you that, you know, if, if you people listening to this, yeah, that's great. I'm the guy that's getting interviewed, but I wanted to, I wanted to say that. And the people that are listening to this have probably already read it. I'm probably the guy that's slow to the dance. But I would say that even if you've read it, going back and rereading that just to recalibrate kind of where you're at, I think it's a good thing. And I, I try to do the same thing. I try to write lists like how do you be how do you be positive and then better yet, how do you stay positive? And I think that, you know, you you covered a lot of that in there. So thank you for writing that, man. It's very, very inspirational. I really appreciate that. Yeah, thanks a lot for that. Especially from from some jarhead. I mean, the thing right. is, it's I wrote it in crayon. Somebody had to type yeah, it out yeah. For me. Well, and that was <laughs> that was half the fun. Reading the crayon scribbles was was part of it. But I think that it's well. I'll just leave it at that. It's very good, and, and people should should check that out. Yeah, you know, I made it a uh, I made it a cool fifty to because it was like forty six. That's all I came up with when I was getting ready to leave to to go talk to the, the football kids, uh, football kids. Football players at the high school, um, and now now I got fifty. I did it in a podcast a few podcasts ago. I I read that online. You know, Kyle, I've been thinking about making this in a book, and I've had a bunch of people say, "Hey, I need to make it a book." Like each one of these is uh, has like three or four paragraphs explaining it. Yeah, you should. I mean, you you yeah, absolutely. Because I, even if it was, even if it's a short book, yeah. It's going it, to, and, and that's one of the problems. Like, if, if uh, you look at my last book, The Leadership in the Shadows book, I wrote it. Um, I, I looked at a book that Stephen Pressfield wrote called Warrior I Ethos. I was looking at anything with Stephen Pressfield. Yeah. So I, I read the book that he wrote on Warrior Ethos. And it's what I'm going to call, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to call it a, a toilet reader. Yeah. And I'll say that because, the, the attention span of a lot of guys like us is about the same amount of time it takes to take a dump, you know, and that sounds terrible, but really there's a lot of us that, and I, I, that's why I read so many books at one time. I read six to 10 books at one time because I have to jump around and see other stuff. If I, if I have to focus on one, I can do that, but I, I don't enjoy it as much. So with that book, I, I looked at Warrior Ethos and I said, that's a book I really enjoyed. How do I I'm not copying it, but how do I write this leadership book so that it's very similar in structure to that book? And if you read my book, every chapter is intended to stand alone. And every chapter is about the attention span of the average dude or or dudette like us that just doesn't have as much focus. Or maybe they're just a busy, a busy person that they they get up and they say, I want to read. I got 15 minutes to read and that's it for the whole day, whether it's day, night or yeah. in the middle of the day or whatever, then they can pick it up and go for it. So I think a book with your, your 50 there would be, dude, that would be awesome. I, I, I've been thinking about doing it. You know, I've got a couple of little books I'm working on and mostly fiction, but I'd really like to do a little something in the nonfiction. You know, I, I said we wanted to get to know each other. We talked a little bit before we started actually introduced the show and uh, it's really all I, I wanted to do. And, you know, I think we're getting some book stuff and some other, uh, some personal things that that are. I don't, I don't care what a gun's made of, man. I don't care what some barrels made of. I don't care how you forged it with hammers in the cold weather. It, like none of that stuff matters, really. It's 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 your, it's your character, your your spirit, your your mindset, 
your your passion, your love, like th- those things are what are permanent that matter that influence other people. Your your self control. Like you can be the best shooter ever. You're gonna die fighting over your spot in line if you have no self control. Yeah. Like, like the, the, these things are much more important than than being good at guns and being the fastest two two three four five drill or whatever their number and things these days. Like they, all that stuff. You know, like the hot thing right now, maybe still be shooting the B8 targets. Like, I don't care what kind of group you shoot the V8 target. If you have no self-control, you're a liability. You're not an asset. Right? Like, so there's, there's so many things we have to get right that we just miss before, you know, then, then going to the gun thing and everything else. And that's uh, the, the, the being a, the good person first. And uh, I believe in, in warriorship. And warriorship is, is mentorship. And warriorship is passing on everything that you did right and that you've learned or you the best of your information is the best information you have right now um understanding that you've been wrong enough times in the past that you're probably wrong about something right now so go ahead and assume somewhere that you're probably wrong about a little something and uh stay a little humble and and pass that stuff on you know and and help bring each other up and not tear each other down but then we look around the firearms world we look around the tech world we look around politics everything else and man, it's just everybody being assholes, tearing each other down all the time. Like it's, it's we're overran with it. So when you said you don't watch TV because it gets down a rabbit hole, and it is that you were everything out there is designed right now to end one thing that I, I believe, and that's self-reliance. I think, they, I think there's a heavy attack on self-reliance right now. Can I can I interrupt you real quick? Absolutely. So I kind of lied when I said I don't watch TV. Because there is one show that my wife records and we watch and we just, this is going to sound terrible, but I just started watching this probably two months ago. Before that, I'd only seen a couple episodes and that's Forged in Fire. And what I like about Forged in Fire and what my wife likes about it is it's, these guys are competing against each other, but they're all, they're all rooting for each other. And there's no, there's, there's just not a lot of negativity there. Um, Doug Markaita is a friend of mine. He's the Filipino dude that's on there. And I know Doug well. He is a, he is an amazing human being. And by the way, he could slice and dice you, you know, a death of 10,000 cuts or whatever. But uh, he's super positive. These other people on there are positive. It, it's just to me, it's it, that's the one show that when when we're done eating supper, my wife and I will sit on the couch and she's like, all right, let's watch this show. And we'll watch one episode and then that's it. That's there's, I mean, that's all I've got for my attention span. And then I want to go read or do whatever I'm going to do. So, yeah. And I think, like you said, there's, there's trying to, you know, how do we stay positive? One way to do that is only go get the news that you want to get, you know, read the headlines and you've read everything that's there anyway. Yeah. You don't need to dig into what Biden said or who cares, you know? I mean, when it's time to go back and vote, then study up on the people that are running for office and figure out the right person to vote for. But I don't know. I just I think that we can get down the down the the rabbit holes of negativity. And dang, man, once you're down those holes, I I have a few of my friends that I've I, I had to stop hanging out with because everything was negative. Yeah. And I can't I I struggle with that. So I can't. I can't be part of that. They're still my I've, friends. I've had some of them and I still love them to death, but they think I'm an asshole. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe because, we both are. Yeah. But I, I'm like, I, I just look, I love you, man, but I can't, I can't, you're, you're tearing me up. You're bringing me down all the time. Like I, I don't need this negativity in my life. We've, uh, 
uh, a week ago. Um, well, it was two weeks ago. I was driving down to Florida and my buddy called me and he, we, we talked about another friend of ours who's not a military dude, but he was, he was struggling. We could both tell he was struggling and I couldn't get a hold of him. I was trying to text him and call him. I couldn't get a hold of him. And he was trying to get a hold and finally called his mom and dad's place and got him on the phone. And he was just real like, yep, no. And that was it. And then three days later, that same dude texts me and he goes, you need to call me right now. So I called him and he said, dude, we just talked about this, but he took his life. And I'm like, so he's not a military dude, um, but a, a good friend of mine. And, and dang, man, you know, you, if you go down that negative trail, it, where does it go? It doesn't, it just keeps getting more and more negative. So you got to stop yourself. And if you see your friends doing that, you're not, you got to try to stop, you know, stop them as well. Um, one of the guys that I was kind of tasked with looking out for at Warrior's Heart, um, I helped Tom Spooner a little bit with that. He's, you know, he's a super, super human being. And, the, and him and the folks that started that, Josh and Lisa, they're, they're just amazing human beings. Well, one day he called me, he goes, this dude's your dude, former unit guy, and it's your responsibility. He's your ranger buddy. And I went, Roger that. So I started reaching out to this guy. And, and right from the get-go, he was very standoffish. And just to kind of cut to the, the chase there, a couple of years after I was given that responsibility, he, he also took his life. And that was really heavy for me because I had been tasked with like, you're, the, you're supposed to be this guy's ranger buddy. So I took it personally, like it was my responsibility and I'm carrying this rucksack around and, and it's got, you know, 500 extra pounds in it because of that. And one day I'm talking to my buddy, Duke, Duke Krager, he, uh, he runs the Island of misfit toys and, uh, and that's us. And he's like, Hey dude, you need to, you need to dump out that rucksack because that's not your responsibility. You know, you're, you're not the guy that's the, the great physician. There's only one of those. So just put that, you know, you need to stop thinking like that. And it, it, it almost immediately affected me in a, in a positive way. So I called up Tom Spooner. I'm like, Hey bro, check this out. And I kind of told him the same thing. And he goes, and Tom's is, he sounds like you're talking to a surfer dude. He's like, yeah, man, I've known that for a long time. And I'm like, well, dude, why didn't you pass that on to me? <laughs> right. You know, we, 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 we try to take a lot of this stuff on as, as veterans, like all of a sudden we're responsible for everybody that's a veteran's action. We're really not. I mean, they're human beings. They're good people. We are, we're hoping, but all of us are going to make bad decisions at one time or another. And I guess my point of that is try to avoid the negativity. If you got friends that are being negative, try to talk them out of it. But if something does go bad, just remember that's, that's not on you. And I don't want that to sound like I'm like a cop out because it's not, but you can't, you literally can't carry the weight of other people on your shoulders like that. You've got your family to worry about, you know, if your friends are, are, you know, there comes a point that either they want help and they will get help or they'll fail. And they have to, they have to want that help. So anyway, I don't know. I kind of went down a tangent there, but uh, those are so many good points. You know, I, I talk about positivity all the time where people think that I'm like some kind of, you know, hippie or whatever. Maybe there is a little bit of that side of hippiness in me. Cause I, man, I have, I have, I'm a firm believer that, that just, 
thinking positive and position yourself around positivity, like it'll change your life. You start reading a book that helps you become a better leader, a better thinker, a better writer, a better reader, whatever. You are going to somehow every single day is going to be affected by the chapter that you're reading. It's going to work into your life. You're going to see it. Like it's, it's crazy how every time I'm, I'm in one of these books, I, I recognize opportunities to, to, to try something I learned in, in a book or, or do something I, I learned or whatever. It's, uh, it's crazy how when you're looking for solutions and you're looking for positivity, you find positivity. When you're looking for negativity, you find negativity. Yeah, yeah. If I was very negative, my wife would become negative. And then my son would become negative. And then our whole house is negative. Then I go to work and I take that negativity and I give it to my coworkers. And then they do the same thing to their people. And next thing yep. you know, all of our sphere of influence and everybody that influences us is, is we're just bouncing negative. Like it is, it is a cancer. Yeah. And it, it will kill you. That's one of the things that, you know, I, I've got a class list of the things that we're going to cover in my handgun class, in my rifle class, in my patrol rifle class, whatever, AK class. I've got the things that, that we're going to hit, you know, the fundamentals, the, the things that everybody has in their stupid things that they have on their website. Um, but what you don't get is, and we have some discussions, there's often tears involved somewhere along the way. You know, there's emotions. There's, there's, there's people overcoming barriers. There's people identifying barriers. There's, there's people, there's me taking people to where... They're, they're ready to quit, and that little voice in their head is saying, hey, man, you can back off a little bit and just quit if you want. Not a big deal. This is just a training class. Like, you, 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 can, you can stop. And then I make them go a little bit further, and then I tell them to quit. You know, and, and the next people can come up and go. So there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things that, that we're building in there, um, how to think, moral courage, uh, physical courage, just like warrior mindset type stuff. It's not listed on a website or anything. You know, and it's just... You're also seeing examples of other good humans out there. Yeah, so it's a. It becomes a very. It becomes the. The perfect audience and the perfect feedback from the the officers and, and other students in the class and everything else. Like it's just, it's not what everybody expects it to be. I don't know. If it, it sounds like that probably comes across in your classes as well. Yeah, and I think one of one of the other things that, as an instructor that that I get to see is we we meet just awesome people. Yeah. And they don't, I'm not saying they got to be law enforcement or cops. I mean, I'm talking like Joe average cat that shows up for a class and you find out this guy or this gal's story and you're like, holy buckets, you know, I'm up here, you know, I've got supposedly this pedigree that I'm supposed to be your instructor, but they end up being, I mean, they're much more interesting. Um, I just did a video with loophole and they're, they're asking me like, well, what's it mean to be a hero? And I'm like, well, first of all, it's not me. It's, it's, it's those folks because they get up every day. Look at law enforcement. They get up every day and they go out and they're getting ridiculed and they're trying to do the right thing. And they, every day they get up and do it. So that's, you know, that to me, that's much more heroic than, you know, at midnight, I load up in a vehicle and drive out and we do a mission in Iraq or wherever that's, I mean, that's expected because that's what we do. And we have all the tools to do it. These poor people, they get up yep. every morning and they make it happen. So I think, you, you know, just got to open up your eyes around you and you're going to meet. If, if all of us would just stop talking for a minute and yes. listen to the people around us, we would hear there's just amazing, there's just amazing people that we get to deal with every day, you know? You know, when I travel around almost every city that I'm in teaching, there's always one or two people, or it's a couple, a married couple, or a girlfriend, boyfriend, or something. I'm like, man, if I lived here, these would be my people. We would hang out. 
Like these would be my good friends. I could tell just by hanging out with them for two days on the range. Like I know this, but then I go back and we just stay in touch on social media or whatever. But it kind of ends there. Can I ask you a question on that? Of course. So, what is tribe? What does that mean to you? Well, when you first say it, there's a few things that pop into mind. Not the definition, but uh, the great book by Sebastian Younger, um, and it also. Team Rubicon, uh, TR is the, the acronym there. So we, we refer to ourselves as the tribe at the same time and joining the tribe and that kind of stuff. But a tribe is, is a group of like-minded people trying to achieve the same goal and bring each other along with them. Kind of the way I see a tribe. So do you believe that, and I, 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 wanna, I don't want to lead you here. I just wanna, I want to get your opinion do you believe that everybody should be in the same tribe? No, I don't, I don't know how you, you could have everybody in the same tribe unless you have, you know, a big major tribe, like we're the American tribe. And then, you know, maybe there's some little sub tribes under that kind of thing, but you know, in the same tribe, I, I think, I think there's enough diversity in people and mindset that it's not really practical. I don't know if it would be better. And why do we care? Why do we want to make everybody be the same and be and have everybody, you know, and I guess my point here is I'm never going to be in some of these people's tribe. I don't want to be in their yeah. tribe. I, I'm just not going to do it. And I feel like throughout history we've seen, and it doesn't, when I, you know, a lot of people say, well, you're a racist. If you say that, and I, I said a tribe, I didn't say a race. I said a tribe. And when, if you look at a tribe, you know, those were people from many different locations that would come together. Now that doesn't mean that they all agreed either. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if you take a cop from Nashville, Tennessee, they're not going to agree on everything, but they're going to be relatively close to the same tribe. Mm -hmm. But the way that they're brought up, the way that, you know, like down here, if you, you know, you can go to school and take your hunter safety up in, you know, up in New York, that's in, at least in, in the city, you're not, you know, gun stuff is not going to be part of that. Well, that's, and to me, that's part of being in that tribe. You, you know, if, if, if guns are part of that and being in the military is part of that, or being a warrior is part of that, you know, that tribe, how, you know, who are those people? And I think I don't want to be with other people. You know, if, if you're like an Antifa dude, I'm probably, no, not probably. I'm definitely not in your tribe. You know what yeah. I mean? Right. And that kind of goes back to, you know, you're saying like, like Americans, that's a big tribe. I don't think it is because I think that the, the, in order to be a tribe, we kind of have to have like-minded principles of how we live. And if you're in a certain group in America, you're, you're not, we'll never be in the same tent. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think it's possible. You know, yeah. there's, there's people who there's a lot of, and I'm not saying that I'm right about, man, I'm probably, I'm like the dumbest dude I know, you know, so <laughs> like, I, but I see these people all the time who are, have these very, very strong, highly vocal worldviews with absolutely zero world experience. Yeah. And that. They can't be in my tribe unless, like, yeah, I'm letting them in. Like, hey, I, our tribe, we could punch each other in the face when they're doing something stupid. So, like, yeah, you can be in my tribe. But, like, but this tribe thing, this, this sense of belonging 
is one of the most powerful things that's happening right now. And there's a lot of negativity. I think there's some positivity with it too. But um, we have a lot of people out there who, well, I need to be make sure that, that this person, uh, they want to associate with the celebrity Alyssa Milano's tribe kind of people. So even though they don't believe the garbage that these people are pushing and everything else, they will virtue signal and make a post and support it on Facebook just to make sure that their friends that they want to stay friends with and to be seen as that uh, as a member of their tribe, just to reaffirm that they, hey, I can still be and can compete and be in here with the group think and all this stuff and and keep everybody happy. And uh, next thing you know, like they're all one up in each other. Next thing you know, you have this yep. really loud minority, and you have a, the majority of people are just now in the U.S. getting fed up with it. And we're like, we're at the yeah. point. There's a lot of cool stuff happening the last couple of weeks that we're at the point where we're like, you know what? Let's back off, kids. It's, let's 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 we're not gonna we're not gonna do this stuff anymore. And I, I'm starting to see a lot of cool stuff happening out there. People standing up and and like school boards getting taken over, uh, state legislatures overrunning, writing vetoes. There's some cool stuff happening out there where the majority is getting fed up, and we're like, we're not gonna tolerate your your crap anymore. And I, I think that's awesome. We're going to keep seeing that. I also think the uh, Zoomer generation is going to be the one that saves America. The Zoomers? Yep, the Zoomers. Like my son, my 10-year-old. I think, I think they're going to save America. I really do. They're so That's bright. awesome. They're incredible. So, they're you know, it, I, 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 I struggle sometimes. Like, okay, we're, we're fighting the, the gun grabbers, and we're fighting this, and we're fighting that. And then you look at your kids, and you go, and my kids are full-grown. I've got two grandkids. And, and I think, well, if they're not going to fight for it, why am I fighting for it? But I think you're right because I feel like maybe my kids aren't going to fight for it, or maybe one of them will fight for it or whatever. But then what's that next generation? Are they going to be the ones that, that then bring us back to, to being what we were intended to be, you know? And I think that the, what we got to do is we got to keep that, that hope and that faith that that's going to happen because, we don't want this experiment to end. We want it to keep, you know, chugging along the way we've been going for hundreds of years, you know? And you got to fight because you got to set the example to how. So yeah, how it, yeah. You know? And know that this is okay. This is American. It is, this is what you should be doing. Absolutely. You know, I was reading something else a couple of days ago whenever, you know, we were talking in an email. I know you're coming on here. I was reading about uh, you on a Coffee or Die Oh, gracious. That's, you know, that's all lies. Uh, yeah. You, I can't remember exactly how it all went down. I've got, I've got notes here, but it was something, I forget what he asked. He said something about like, you know, what was your closest call or when did you almost buy it? You know, when did you, you think this is, I'm not going to make it through this kind of thing. And, you know, you were, you said something about, uh, in Mogadishu was, um, you know, what you thought that was going to be your, your worst fight. I don't know if we're going to make it out of here. So you did your best and you said, here's the quote. I tried not to be a coward. <laughs> yeah. You, you didn't say that like as an answer to the question. You had that little phrase like hidden somewhere in the answer of your question. But when I read that, tried not to be a coward, and that, that just like jumped right out me in my face uh, because I have been trying not to be a coward my whole life. And it has been my biggest fear the, when if I ever have nightmares, it has something to do with me not acting in when I need to act. And I've never had a situation where I needed to act and I failed to act. And I want to keep that record going because I, there's nothing, there would be nothing more embarrassing 
nothing I think that would hurt me more um, than feeling like a coward or having an event where I did not respond the way I should have because I was afraid I was going to get hurt or killed. And I have a character that I wrote in a screenplay that's turned into a novel, and he says some similar things to that, try to be a coward, because he's helping a young girl learn to survive in a post-apocalyptic world. And she just thinks that he's super brave and never gets scared and everything else. Like uh, that right there, I tried not to be a coward. Like who, who would think Kyle Lamb would have to try to not be a coward? Well, um, I don't know how to say it other than it happens a lot. I mean, so where that, where that came from was I, I really thought I was going to die. We were, we, it was a bad day and, and dudes were getting shot all around and, and we were working on a guy at the time and uh, Jamie Smith was this young ranger that had been shot high in the femoral artery and it also broke his pelvis. So we were working on him. And when I had a second to say a prayer, I, I didn't pray that I would survive. I prayed that I wouldn't be a coward. And that's yes, because I figured I'm done. I just don't want to go down like a, I just don't want to be that guy. It's really been good for me is my wife is is we're evenly yoked. We couldn't be more evenly yoked. And what she has done for me is sometimes when I am having that trouble making the right decision, she has very gently hip checked me into making the right decision. And one of those, and I'm not going to go too in depth on this, but we had some issues going on with one of the companies that we work with. And I'm like, man, I don't know what to do. And she's like, well, you can do one of two things, or actually, I guess it was one of three things. She said, you can just sit there and be quiet or you can quit or you can do what you tell people to do in this leadership book that you wrote and go in there and make the right decision. And I'm like, Oh crap. She's right. She's a hundred percent right. So I had to go in there and, and I, I figured I'd get fired. I mean, when I, when she said make the right decision, she goes, you're probably going to get fired, but at least you've made the right decision then. And if that's the way they are, then you don't want to work with that company anyway. So I went in there and I, I called up the guy that's my boss and I said, Hey man, I guess I got to tell you this and here's the deal. And I laid it out from A to Z and he's like, well, you're 100% right. And he goes, are you prepared to lose your job for this? <laughs> and I said, yes, I am. And he goes, okay. He goes, I am too. So my, my, what was lucky there was my leader was a good leader. Yeah. And my wife is a good leader and she helped me to make that decision because I, if, you know, if, if you take your a notebook and you write just the yes and no to the, to the question, you're going to make the right decision. If you just separate yourself from that and say reasons to stay, reasons to go, reason to say yes, reasons to say no, whatever it is. And you just put those, that list. Why should I stay in this job? Why should I leave this job? Why should I make a yes decision for this? Or why should I make a no decision? Guess what? Your decision is going to be made if you just use common sense. Um, Well, guess what? I didn't get fired and we fixed the problem. And it was a, to me, it ended up being a very good leadership, uh, a, a good leadership decision that my wife helped me to make in that particular time. So I guess, you know, we, we all, uh, you know, if people think that we don't struggle, we all struggle. 
that's human nature is is to to struggle with decisions. If you're not struggling with decisions, then you're just you're not going through life correctly. Yeah. Because if everything is great, I'm going to tell you, if everything is right, great, you're like, actually, yeah, it, yeah. If, it, it, if you uh, just put a little TM behind that, and it'll be fine. You got it. <laughs> no, if, 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 if you're just bumbling through life and nothing bothers you, nothing, uh, or I should say, you're not, you're not having to make tough decisions. Well, then you're probably really good at making bad decisions and just keep going with that. And that's, you're, you're going to have a, a crappy life, you know what I mean? But if you, uh, if every day you try to make the right decision, it's, you know, it's, it's not easy to, to, it's, it's easy to follow the crowd. It's very easy to follow, get sucked into that mob or that crowd. And I got to tell you, I don't want to be part of that. And really, I don't want to be part of whatever crowd it is because, you know, I, I want to do my own thing. And, and doing my own thing doesn't mean that I'm I'm just a loner. That just means that I want to everything. I'm going to make that decision, and it's going to be on me. It's going to be on my on my wife and I. We make the right decision. You know what I'm saying? And I haven't always done that. I'm just saying that I've got to I've got to work on that constantly. Dude, I had that in my notes to, to talk to you about. You, know, you have a book on leadership, um, and you know I, I recently I was in a leadership class uh, an online seminar thing it was like over two days just a couple hours each day because we had a, a few new managers here and one that had been a manager in some other places for a while and we wanted them to get some experience so uh, our hr lady she says uh hey we're gonna do we're in a meeting with the boss and the owner and everything and he says uh she said we're gonna have a, a this thing i want to do this training for our managers back there and i'm like yeah we need to get them some some leadership training do some stuff and you know, i don't have time right now with all this going on really build something in-house let's give this a try and uh put me in the class with them so i can see how it is we can have guided discussions on breaks and afterwards and take notes and i can see how it and tie it into what they actually do here so i took this class and then i'm talking to these these three gentlemen that work at the company i'm with and these are all great guys um late 20s and I realized that that they don't know the first thing about leadership. You know, there's there's some there's some things that you're born with that that maybe can't be taught. There's some charisma that that, that can't be learned. But the fundamentals and way deep into it, there's a lot of learned skills, yeah, experience based stuff to be a leader. And it was like nobody in their life had ever explain to them either through example or or through words what it means to be a leader and what it and what that means every day and what that means and in, in no matter what you're doing like they they didn't even get the concept it's like the the kindergarten kid who gets to be in front the first one to use the water fountain like that's not the leader that's the first person in line you know yeah it's like they didn't get the, the difference in those things and i I don't know if that's common everywhere or if it's just like uh, my sample size had different people, but you know, I'm seeing less and less people. I'm not saying we have less leaders, um, but it's like, it's like they're not being taught. And I, t I think I've taken that for granted from, you know, a month and, a, and 26 days after I turned 17, I was on the yellow footprints of Paris Island. And I've, I've had, I grew up, literally grew up with trying to be formed into a leader and, 
uh, seeing great examples of leadership and seeing horrible examples of leadership and knowing the difference in, okay, this person is managing me. This person's trying to lead me and, and what I need to do. So it's like a lot of that stuff, like when, if, when guns, when somebody comes to your class, Kyle, I'm sure that let's say we have, you know, anybody who's like, I'm new. I just bought this gun. You know what problems they're going to have. You know what you need to teach them. You know what they're yeah. going to struggle with. And so I, I have empathy for gun stuff because I remember what it was like 25, 26 years ago when I had no idea what I was doing. <clears throat> but for some reason, I had never applied that same mindset and have empathy to realize that I'm probably dropping some knowledge and explaining some things sometimes. And, it, and I, they're probably just nodding their head and saying, right on. And they don't really know what I'm talking about because they don't have the foundational understanding. And I should have been better and understood that they don't have that. Does that make any sense? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I have an issue with is I don't do very many basic classes, which is good and it's bad. It's good because I get to take folks that kind of have a, a foundation already built, and then I try to take them to the next level. The bad thing is if the foundation has a crack in it, it's hard to fix at mm -hmm. that point if they've got bad you know, whatever that might be. And, and, and some of it's wrong and some of it's just another way to do it. And I don't fight another way to do it. You know, an example would be like, how does, how does a guy let his slide forward on his pistol? Does he hit the, the slide stop or slide release, depending what camp you're in? Or do you grab the rear of the slide and slingshot it, and let it go forward? Well, I don't care. I literally, I don't care. Now, if you're shooting a, an old Beretta, then I do care because if you do that, you're going to put the weapon, you're going to decock the weapon decock. and it's going to stay it unsafe. And okay, there's a reason for that. But if it's just a cop with his Glock and when I say I don't care, I don't want people to think that I, that I'm, I don't care for my students. What I mean is if that cop's done that for 10 years, I'm good with that. It's not the fastest way to do it, but it's, it's, it will work. It's consistent for them. So just let it, you know, let it go. Same thing with their carbine. If they're, grabbing the charging handle to release the, the bolt to go forward. I just, I'm not going to waste my, my time with that. Now, when we get, when we get that foundation that has a crack in it, where like a, some cops now are being taught to trap the trigger where they slowly release till the disconnector clicks and then they re-squeeze. That's a terrible, terrible technique. And they're jerking the trigger. So it's really hard to get them to recover from that training scar <clears throat> because they've had instructors that there's still, okay there's that's so fine you people teaching that now but man like how does it still exist you know well i mean i'm good with that up to the point of how about you let the gun reset as it's in recoil <laughs> yeah. so that we can start squeezing the trigger again anyway um yeah i think it's uh i'm trying to now i'm i'm sorry i got off i got my train of thought got jacked up there but no you got a little fired up there for a second you're mad yeah. about some trigger trapping yeah <laughs> well you know the deal man it will drive you absolutely insane it's like no you know the best shooters in the world don't do that the best shooters in the world when the gun settles back on the target they are prepped they've taken the they've taken you know three pounds of a three and a half pound trigger yep 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 but yeah it's in in one one of the things that i've seen I've been teaching my grandson how to shoot since he was five. He's been out on the range with me and blasting and he's seven now. And he's just a very gifted, has super hand eye coordination. He's a little, his dominance kind of shift, you know, shifts from 
right eye to left eye. And I have, I have the same thing. And when I first took him to the range, I, my daughter's like, Oh, Denver, you got it. No, no, just stop. Don't, don't just let him have fun. He doesn't need to, to worry about anything until he's like 10 years old. You know what I'm saying? He can, as long as he's shooting and he's safe and he's having fun, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And if when he turns 10, he decides that he's going to shoot left-handed, then whatever, we'll make that happen at that time. But I think that uh, the my biggest, what I try to tell people, whether it's with a kid or with another person, take them to the range and let them have fun. And then we can get serious later because they realize it's a lot of fun even to be serious later on. But initially, just let this kid or this adult that's never shot before just let them have fun. I mean, if you take somebody out to shoot an AR and they don't enjoy it, two things there. They probably don't have a soul and they probably own a cat. You know what I mean? <laughs> don't have a soul and own a cat. I Cats cat. don't have – I know. I've got a, we got a cat too, but that doesn't mean that cat has a soul. Dogs have soul, bro. You know what I'm yeah. saying? They just do. They look in your eyes and they're like, I know what you're thinking. That cat looks like beyond you and doesn't even – acknowledge that you're alive oh yeah no Jeff, for sure a different breed so so let me i, I want to go back to something you said earlier post-apocalyptic novel yeah mr daniel so here's a here's one for you i want to hear what you think about the road um cormac mccarthy yeah i i like the road and uh i didn't hate the film version of it either which is pretty rare for me to like a novel and like the film at the same time (laughs) i'm not a big fan of that that joker's writing i don't know why it is but i just don't like i mean the road i guess of 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 most of the books i've read by cormac mccarthy that's probably one of my favorites kind of weird at the end where like von chenard takes the dude under his wing and he's wearing like a yellow patagonia jacket or something you know who von chenard is no. He's a guy that started, I think he started, did he start Patagonia or did he start? Oh, really? Is that who it was? Yeah, whatever his name is. Anyway, so so what about the, uh, so are you a Cormac McCarthy fan, you would say? Oh, no. I mean, okay. I, I've, I've not read, I don't think I've read anything else by Cormac McCarthy. Well, No Country for Young Men or Old Men old or men. Yeah, whatever it is. McCarthy. I haven't read that. But I've seen the film. That's a hard one to read because it's it's pretty brutal. And there's another one I read uh, from him. Anyway, I was just kind of curious about that because I, I've I, some writers are I don't know they're hard for me to read, and he's he's fits into that category. Um, there's other guys that are that are writers like him that I really enjoy their their writing. Um, a guy like Frederick Forsyth. Have you read any of his stuff? Let me Google. Uh, he wrote um, Day of the Jackal. He's an interesting. He to me, he's a very, very interesting writer. Or he's I, I like reading his stuff because when he writes something, it's it you would like it because when you like Day of the Jackal, this guy's trying to kill. Um, oh, what was the? He's trying to kill their president or something. One of the, I think De Gaulle, he's going after De Gaulle and it's written so well. Like you believe this guy is actually putting this gun together and he knows what he's doing. 
versus some of this stuff you read it and you're like this guy doesn't have a clue about what he's about what he's talking about you know when it comes to guns you know a lot of people i got a bunch of friends who are like oh man i can't handle this because the gun stuff is so bad and this and that like you know like i can't watch this walking dead because their gun handling is just horrible and this and that like look you have already suspended disbelief enough to believe that there's a zombie apocalypse. You have suspended disbelief enough for like 20,000 other craziness things happening. And now suddenly, but I can't make that jump and suspend disbelief that, that the way he's holding that gun, he would have that little bit of recoil because I know about guns. That stuff doesn't really bother me anymore. Like I used to get annoyed by that. Yeah. But now I just overlook it and like they, they, they don't know. They don't, they don't know what they're doing in, in film. Well, they know what they're doing in writing a lot of times. I guess maybe the, 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 the reason I say that is because if you read a book like anything from Jack Carr, it's super believable. Solid, yeah. Yeah, it's just stuff that we – that's how we would write. Jason Casper, same thing. Um, like Galaxy's Edge, on Spock, you know, those guys are like dead on. Weapons yeah, yeah, and so I, I guess – yeah, you're right. I, I, I would agree with what you say. I think it enhances, it, though, when they're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 it does. It's like reading Louis L'Amour. When you read a Louis L'Amour book, every book it's it's so real. It's like it's almost like he's been there. Well, yeah, it's because he has. He's actually walked, probably walked that ground before he wrote that, you know, before he wrote that book. So we were talking who, before who, that we started recording. Where, are you a Stephen King fan? You were talking about on writing and people should read it just to help them write. Are, are you a Stephen King fan or just like like that his writing style? Um, I I have never read one of his books. Other than on writing, I, I don't. I'm not into. I don't know what you call his books, but he's uh, he's got a little everything. Yeah, I'm not. I, I no, I haven't. I haven't read any of his books other than his book on writing, and that book on writing was phenomenal. Um, and I've tried to read some other books on writing that were not good. See how I'm being positive. No, yeah, be positive. I like, I like they're the not awesome. Yeah, they're not. They're not as amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, King does a really good job of teaching writing in that, but with story of him growing up and some other stuff that's funny. And oh funny. yeah, you know, he, yeah. He does a really good job. I I really like on writing. He's cool. You know, I listen to audiobooks while I'm in the car or while I'm you know, working out or you know while I'm I'm doing something else or sometimes at work when I'm doing something semi mindless. It's um. How do you have time to actually pick up a book and read as much as you read? What do you, what do, you do? I mean, obviously, you, you, you make some adjustments in other parts of your life. You know, we have to give up some things to do some other things. Like, I'm just curious how you do it. So I would not say I'm a particularly fast reader, but I'm very consistent. So what I mean by that is if, if I uh, – every morning I read – so the book I finished this morning was the second volume of, of uh, Churchill's Speaking Peoples. Now, when you, when you think about that, you think, oh, how could you read a book? I mean, how would you ever get through a book like a history book on the English-speaking peoples? Well, there's two ways to get through it. One, it's in a chapter form that is a thought. And two, it's Winston Churchill, who is an amazing writer. Oh. Yes. Oh, he's just, he, he's phenomenal. Great voice. So if you want to go, I love history. So the, the history of the English speaking peoples takes you from the beginning of time. Well, maybe at the beginning of time, but the beginning of, 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 of Great Britain when it wasn't Great Britain and it, it walks you all the way up to present day. 
and it's in four volumes. And I just happened to go to a bookstore that they had just bought these four volumes from a guy. I saw the deal taking place in the parking lot. I went to the guy that runs the joint and I said, what you got there? And he goes, just back off, dude. Once, you know, once I buy these books, you can have a chance at them. So he bought them. I bought them five minutes after he bought them. And I was, I was amazed at how good, how good they are. I mean, it's, it's an amazing book. So what I try to do is I, you know, before I said, I don't watch TV. So like when I go to bed, if I'm going to sit in bed, I'm not sitting in bed watching YouTube videos. I'm sitting in bed reading a book. So I'll read a book until I lose interest. And then I start reading another book. And then at some point I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to sleep and that's it. So I'll, I'll try to knock that out in the morning. I read and then in, in the evening I read. And then somewhere during the day, if I get a break, I'll, I'll read during that, you know, like say I just got done eating chow or something. I might sit down for 20, 30 minutes and read or whatever it might be. Um, Louis L'Amour, I just, I just finished a book. His, I don't know if it's an autobiography, but it's, it's his, basically his story and how he's always read. And, uh, I've read a ton of Louis L'Amour stuff, but I'd never read this book. And, this guy is just, he's reading all the time. And one of the things he said was he figured out, he, he kept track of the books he'd read while he was waiting for somebody, riding public transportation, waiting at the doctor's office. He just always has a book with him. And I'm kind of the same way because I, have, I do have some books on electrons. So if I'm sitting at the dentist waiting to go in and get tortured, I'll just pick up... I, I'm not surfing social media because I don't really do social media. I'm surf. I'm reading a book. And you know, I and lost that. I lost that along the way. Like I used to always have a book in my cargo pocket, you know, like always. Have a yeah. Book. Oh yeah. And you never know when you're stuck somewhere for like 12 hours, <laughs> you know, in the, Oh yeah. Yeah. Stuff. Like I, I lost that somewhere along. That's a good reminder. I should start keep having a book with me. Well, and you know, and, and, and what I would say is, Maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Hey. I used to listen to a ton of podcasts and I would get done listening to a podcast and I would ans- ask myself, okay, be honest. What did you learn from that podcast? And if the answer was nothing, then I'm not, I'm not listening to that podcast anymore. Because if I'm not learning, why am I listening to it? What, what am I getting out of it? Entertainment. Now, podcast listeners out there don't have the same standards as Kyle Lamb over here. He's like, if one episode I don't learn something from, I'm giving up the whole host. Don't do that to me, guys. Well, see, he's got some. I, high yeah, I'm gonna. I'm, well, I'm gonna tell you. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you though. Your people are listening to your stuff because they're learning something. I'm. I just know you're. You're a teacher. You're. That's what you are. You're a writer, which means you're teaching people something. You're instructor, which means you're teaching people something. You're a dad, which means you're teaching people. Like in our podcast, I like I want something of I don't know, like Joe Rogan. He has like one of the most popular podcasts out there, and it's like dude's podcast because he's just rambling on about something that's has nothing to do with anything, you know, which is great. Times, if you, though, he he drops some perspectives. I'm like, you know what? I really I not really the way I think about this, but that's an interesting perspective he has. You know that I I respect it, but I. I, 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 some of the clips are good. But I, I can't just like listen to that. I don't know. I got the kind of what you said, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know. It does not, I'm not, not getting anything out of it. Look, I want to, I want to publish everything. I want to, um, 
I thought very seriously about myself, and uh, I haven't really talked to David about it, but starting a uh, a veterans publishing company that helps veterans, law enforcement, you know, whatever first responders like. Just there, they, there's something for there's something for every group or segment of the population, you know, or whatever identity, whoever they identify as, or whatever. There's somebody for this person. There's somebody for that person. There's like we're, we only publish uh, works from you know African American authors. We only publish works from you know Asian authors, or whatever. Like I, I'm, I'm sure there's a couple of them that help veterans and stuff, but uh, I, I, I've often felt felt that I have a I have, I feel like I have a lot of callings and I don't have a lot of time from so many things I'm passionate about and yeah. I care about and things I want to do but um, ever since I I ever since I got to the point where I became quite sure that I truly understand story not saying I do it right every time and have all the ideas and make it perfect every time but like understand how it works I have wanted to share that with everybody who has PTSD who, you know, underprivileged kids who don't really have a way to express themselves, uh, adults, you know, whatever that, and it, like breaks my heart if people can't read, you know, that they just have. Yeah. That if you took away my ability like to never read or like or do in any way digest a book or written content, like, man, I, I don't know what else I would do? How, how would I fill that void and, and get, yeah. out? that would be like the saddest thing ever. But there's, there's a lot of people out there who can't read. I want to teach them how to read. There's people out there who, who don't know how to express and vent their problems. And they don't know, they, they don't realize that, that they can write them just like, you know, we talked about Casper writing his character um, for the female company commander. So one thing in the yellow birds uh, novel, I read that one. It's like, they, these are things that I would like to do. You know, the, help our community like you're writing a story and, and teach uh, other guys give them an outlet like that guy you were talking about the reverse book or whatever like show them how to do it and I mean, he sounds like he already knows what he's doing but, yeah. well and that, yeah, and that is one thing that, that I get a lot of questions like well how do I how do I go about this and I go well do an outline well what do you mean and I go okay if you don't know how to do an outline you put all your thoughts on paper like what you want in this book just make them you just make them in bullet form and you give it to me, and I'll put it in outline form, and then I'll give it to you, and you'll say, no, 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 that's not how it goes. And they're going to fix it, and then they got an outline. Because that's how I did yeah. my first book. This guy said, he told me I should write a book. And so I decided, I said, well, maybe I will write a book. And I had written an article. I was still in the military, and I wrote this. It was like a white paper basically an article, but in the military, you'd call it a white paper, you know? And I sent it to this guy and he goes, you know, when I told you, you should write a book, I was just joking around, but you're a pretty decent writer. You should really look at this. And then he said, put together an outline. And I said, I don't, I don't know even where to start. And he sent me an outline. And when I got it, I was, I was in Iraq when I got that outline and I said, no, no, no. And I fixed it. And I sent it back to him. He goes, there you go. You got your outline. Now just fill in the blanks. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle. Just get going. You sent me a book that you wanted me to read. And it's called uh, Do the Work. I sent you that? Stephen Pressfield, Do the Work. Didn't you tell me to read that? Maybe I'm time traveling again. I think uh, David said, Do the Work. 
and I second him in uh, the Pressfield stuff because I, I really like War of Art and Turning Pro. And oh, okay. I have do the work, but I haven't read Do the Work. Okay, well, Do the Work is stupid then because David told us to read it. But <laughs> um, no, it's actually very interesting. Like the you know what are the things that stop you? What are what's what creates resistance? And he kind of contradicts himself with that. That book takes, I mean, I'm, I'm halfway through. I think I've read it for like 10 minutes and I'm already halfway through. It's a super, Sounds super. Very, very similar to war of art and turning pro. It's like the barriers we create and how to overcome them. Yeah. And, and, and he kind of contradicts himself from some of the stuff, which is fine. It's just him putting his thoughts on, yeah. you know, where does that resistance come from? Well, get past the resistance, just start writing the book. And yeah. if you don't read books, you're not going to be able to write a book. So read. And then every day when I wrote my second book, um, every night I'd get off the range and I'd go back and I'd shower up and get some chow and I'd come back to my room and I'd write for at least 45 minutes to an hour every, every night that I was on the road. And I knocked that book out in no time. That is discipline. Well, you got, I mean, you got to have discipline if you're going to get that done. The leadership in the shadows kind of happened I got forced into kind of writing that book, but um, these last two books I'm working on are, I haven't had the discipline that I need. And, and that book, Do the Work, kind of told me that, okay, dude, you suck. You need to get back in there and don't come up with excuses. Just say, shut everything off and just go on Scrivener and write. And that's it. Be, you know, because when I use that program, nothing else can come in on my computer. Yeah, I use Scrivener. Yeah, I love it. I love that program. That's, I like the way to it me, organizes. There's just so many. It's it's great. You know, it, it helps me a lot. The, the Scrivener. I've program. tried. I've told other guys, professional writers too. I'm like, I actually tried it, but uh, yeah, if guys are or gals are interested in writing a book, man, just do an outline, and then after that, it's just super easy. At least that's my my opinion. Now, maybe a fiction book. You know, fiction book might be a little bit more difficult because you could apply this exact same advice to everything. Like, I don't want to go to the gym because I'm self-conscious about my body. I'm self-conscious about my body because I don't go to the gym. You know, like like it's it's that first step all the time that we 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 fail to get. Like we're missing that whole thing. Like when I first started wanting to write something, uh, I don't know how to make a story. That's why I said the same thing. Well, outline your story. What you're gonna like outline. Man, I hated making those things in high school. That sucks. And then I had to do them in college. I had to make these outlines and this other stuff. Do I need an appendix? Do I need a this and that and everything else? Like, what kind of outline? Are we doing APA format? Are we doing MLA? Like, I don't know all these different things. Like, Chicago? Like, so I, I start getting so caught up, and I start allowing. If, if, if I'm not looking for reasons to stop or give up or quit early, I'm going to allow, at least allow something to stop me and, and help me give up early. So, but really, at some point, I went and got a master's degree in creative writing, in English and creative writing, Kyle, because I wanted to learn more about writing better. And I learned a lot in that, that degree program, but I've probably learned more. I, oh, I can say for sure. I've learned more about business and writing and English from books on those subjects than I have all, like, seven or eight years of college you know it's uh, books will give you more better more dread drilled down and more current than, than any of those things and what i found for myself was i just i had the wrong understanding of an outline 
I don't care how you format your outline for your book yeah. or whatever it is you're writing. It, it's, it's what matters to you. You're not yeah. throwing it into anybody. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the other things, if you've seen that, um, there's a thing called Masterclass. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. So I, I signed up for that. And early on, it was pretty good because they had some writers on there and it was awesome. Now they got like, yeah, but it's what I would recommend to people is, like you said, go get some books on that subject because there's only a, if you're trying to figure out how to write, you're not going to learn a ton from the masterclass stuff. Um, and then you're going to end up with some douchebag like Malcolm Gladwell on there, you know, hating cops or whatever. That's like, okay, now I'm, now I'm really done with masterclass. Yeah. Um, I really liked but, uh, some of them on there. Like after you've already got some foundation and some understanding of some things, like there's little nuggets that, that Neil Gaiman dropped. Okay. I was just, I was literally going to say his name. Um, one I of the things love Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he's awesome. Well, back to, you know, so back to that outline, if, if, if people that are aspiring to write, will just, just write. And I would also say that as, uh, Stephen King says, you know, if you're going to be a good writer, you got to write, you got to write every day. And, and that can be a struggle, but you know, if, if it's important to you, if you're not reading, then you should be writing. And if you're not writing, you should be reading because that's how you're going to get better at, at both of those. Um, and then the, the, the most important thing that I learned from the masterclass and I could sum it up in one sentence, write what you want to read. All the successful authors said that they, when they got back, just write the book that you want to read. And and that's going to give you that outlet that you want. Are you going to make a million dollars being a writer? If you're going into writing to make a million dollars, it ain't going to happen. That's the wrong reason to be a writer. Um, There's very, very few writers that make a living writing. So if you can do that, I mean, good for you, but there's write what you want to read. If you truly love writing and you write that book that you're going to read, well, then other people are going to see that passion. If you're writing just because whatever, well, it's, there's not going to be the passion. I don't believe that, that you need, you know, for that. And that's where, what I try to do with the articles I write. Um, I don't do a lot of reviews because I don't like to write reviews so I write stories. If you read the stuff I do in Guns and Ammo or some of the other publications, they're stories. They're not, oh, I took this gun to the range and these are the five groups I shot and the blah, blah, blah. Hey, I'm glad yeah. I'm glad people write that stuff. But I'm tell- the same way. I I used to write gun reviews because I thought when I was in the Marine Corps, you know, I was still doing my podcast for a few years before I retired and and then I was like, Man, I I gotta I'm gonna get out. I gotta learn how to get some some gear from people to review so I can write these articles like people are doing. I wonder if anybody will let me write for them. And then I email some people and like, Hey, here's what I do. I do this podcast. I have these many guests. People listen to it. I, I want I don't really have the money to, to buy some of this stuff, but I really like to start reviewing some, some products on the podcast. Everybody sent me everything I ever asked for. And yeah. I was like, wow, that's, that's all it takes. Like, that's crazy. Uh, you know, I was active duty Marine with a podcast. I had, had a really good listener base, you know, and, um, I had no idea what I was doing. I still don't, but the, <laughs> they started sending me stuff and I was like, okay, how do I get paid to do this? 
that took a little bit longer, but I started figuring that out. Like people would take my articles and, and print them or put them online and pay me to write those things. Remember the first time I got a check for something that I wrote. Yeah. It wasn't an Uncle Sam check. You know, like I could make money outside of that. Changed my life. It, it, it gave me like some hustle. Like I, I realized I could do more than just this thing that I was doing. And, but so writing did that. And I, I don't even want to look at the article or whatever it was I wrote the first one. I'm sure it was as bad as my last one. Well, I think that, I mean, the, the, the point you're making there is you're doing something that you wanted to do. And I like, you know, I like reviewing gear. I don't like writing a gear yes. review. So I write it as a story. That's a good way. And to then, it. yeah. And that way it's, it's not that ABC thing. It's like, Oh, and I just tell, Hey, this is what happened. Um, and I have had them say, well, you know, we can't say that. And I said, well, then throw that in the trash. If I can't say that, well, how else would you say it? That's how I would say it. So if you don't like it, don't, I'm not offended if you don't like the article or you're going to piss off Aimpoint because you're, you know, I said something in the article that yeah. Aimpoint's going to be upset with or SIG or whoever. Well, then just throw it in the trash because I'm not, I'm not the guy that's going to give hand jobs to the, to the local dude that's donating money or giving money to yeah. your well, thing. I'm, I'm just pay to play anyway. You know, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm not that guy. I try to just write it, like I said, as a story, and it's been fun. I, I, re, I was telling um, Eric Poole, who's the, the editor of Guns and Ammo right now, when I was a kid, I would go into the, the, the library in our school, and I would read Guns and Ammo magazines. Now, nowadays, people are like, what? They, they had gun magazines? Yeah, in South Dakota, man, we had every hunting and fishing and shooting magazine that we could possibly have uh, in, in our school library. And I, I remember reading guns and ammo and I'm like, man, this guy, Bob Millick. Oh, he's awesome. And this other dude. And I, you know, I read those guys religiously. And then I got asked to write for guns and ammo. And I was like a little right. kid, like, you're kidding me. Yeah. I mean, what? I mean, come on, man. Elmer Keith, that guy was awesome. You know? And, and anyway, so it's been, it's, it's been, Sometimes and you're like, oh, I got to write another article. Just remember how lucky you are that you get to do, you know, you get to do stuff like that. So I'm, I've been pretty blessed in the, in the writing side of things and, and the book thing, you know, it is a good way to make a little bit of extra income if you can get a book out there. And we, uh, we're the publishers of my books because they're, they're kind of a fringe kind of book. So we, we've had very good success selling them ourselves. There's, there's no reason why you shouldn't self-publish everything. With the amount of reach you have and following, and, and companies willing to, to jump on and help you out, like the, there's no there's no publishing company that's going to give you more marketing than you can give yourself. Yeah, not, and they're going to take a percentage. I I wouldn't even consider for you, which I'm not considering myself. I, I won't even send anything to a publishing company because of what they're going to do for me, what they're going to take. I I have the resources and the tools and the knowledge to do it do it better myself. I actually dealt with a publisher and my writing was too in depth and I said, well, all right. I mean, I'm not going to water it down. It's just, I like to read books that, that, that dig into the, you know, that when that guy's crawling into position to shoot somebody, you're, you can feel it and taste it and understand it. And funny thing was a few years later, I'm reading a Jack Carr book and I mean, Jack's books, you feel like you're there. So, there are some editors out there that will 
you know, do it the way you want to do it. So I think, you know, either way, if you can get an editor, do it. If you don't need an editor or not an editor, but a, a publisher, you know, do whatever, whatever makes, you know, floats your boat. I would say this though, if you get a, uh, an editor or a publisher that says you got to pay them a bunch of money in order to get this book put together, well then go to somebody else. Cause you, you're, they should be, if they should pay you, if the book is worth reading, they should pay you. If it's not worth reading, then, if you're going to give them a bunch of money, then that's, that's not really how this yeah, no, transaction sure. is supposed to work. So, I don't know. It just, it's, it's intriguing to, to hear, you know, just kind of hear your perspective and the writing and the reading and, and the training and just, you know, all of that. It's, uh, I don't know. It's always good to learn. I'm, all, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely learning from you. And that's, I think that's, I don't always get to do that in a, when I go on a podcast, you know, because one of the things we, we, we hit on Somalia a little bit there, but a lot of times we go on a podcast and it's like an hour and a half. I got to talk about Mogadishu and it's like, man, that was just a tiny little snippet right. of my life. That's not even who I am. Yeah. yeah. There's all this other stuff that's, that's happened um, before and after that, mostly this stuff after that. One of the things I was going to bring up, I'm, I'm a little nervous because I got asked to go speak at a uh, high school graduation at my school where I grew up and my nephew, his son is graduating and he asked me to be the, the speaker. So, uh, actually it's like a week from tomorrow or something. I have it. Here's what you're going to do. Are you ready? I'm ready. You are going to write down 50 things, just like my 50 things. Why don't I just use yours? Because it's yours is proven success, bro. No, no, you're going to write down 50 things. You're going to then, Go present this. You're going to come back, critique yourself and what you said. Somebody's going to record this presentation. So whenever you, if you expand, found upon any of these things, you're going to have that to copy later on. And then you're going to write two or three paragraphs under each one of those points while I write two or three paragraphs underneath my points. And then we're going to have the Kyle Lamb side of the book. And then you turn it over and you can read it the other way. And you've got the Daniel Shaw side of the book. So we got your reversey idea that you thought that I didn't like, except now we're doing it with. Kyle. But yeah, and I see where you're going. The thing you're not saying though is on your side, you're actually going to have some coloring book pictures as well. Yeah, oh yeah, because that's a marine thing. They always <laughs> got to put in pictures and you got to color them, and yeah, it's that's the way it is. The, see, I'm in. You, you, I, I procrastinated. I would, I would do that with you. I would if if you said let's do this project, I, I would do that in a heartbeat. That would be so fun. Look, I, I would do it because um, this, this is on my list of my next thing to do, uh, write those a couple paragraphs. I mean, how hard is it to write a couple paragraphs over these those points that I went over? Yeah, yeah. You know, they, it, it shouldn't be that hard. Just, well, I think the, the thing that's going to be hard for you is to write a couple paragraphs and not write that's exactly 10 pages. So that's in what I've done so far. That's one of those things that, that um, Stephen King brought up, too, is – you know, I always thought, oh, you write your manuscript and then you go through and you add to that. No, no, you don't. You go through and you chop the crap out of it. And to me, that's been um, talking to Jason Casper. He's right before I got COVID, I met with him and did a podcast. And then I gave him a couple chapters from this book and he sent me back a critique and it was just awesome. And by awesome, I mean, he just destroyed what I wrote. That's what you want. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and a lot of people would get their their butt hurt about that. I was like, oh my goodness, this guy is awesome. See, now you're so, hitting something, man, that, that, that's super important. Like, 
I, I've just only I've dabbled just a hair in Hollywood. Uh, when I, other, I really think when I was talking about my camera guy and you were laughing that I had a camera guy. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I stole Charlie from uh, from J.J. Abrams. He's a uh, you know big director guy, and um, that that and like eighty percent of that is true. The <laughs> but but he is a he's a mortarman in the Webb platoon, and when I was in first battalion, second marines, um, and we we did a trip to Iraq together. We were friends. I hung out a lot then, and then we didn't talk to each other for a long time. And then uh, I we ran. In, I won a film festival for a screenplay that I wrote, and they sent me out to L.A. to go meet some studio executives, and you know, kind of pitch the script, let them read it, check it out, and stuff. And um, the I've linked up with him because he was out there working. He does uh, a lot. Of, if you, any movies you've watched, he's done them all. I'm just kidding, not all of them. But the, um, he does all the CGI stuff and like graphic stuff, and he's awesome at it. What's cool about you know him and I are talking all the time, and my small working in Hollywood and his working a lot in Hollywood, these people are so sensitive. Their egos, they have to stroke each other's egos all the time. And they, they if you're, uh, oh, we loved it, but I have a couple notes. You know, you're going to rewrite it from page one. But like the way they talk to each other and the way they stroke each other all the time, you are enhanced. I am enhanced by our military experience, by our thick skin. Uh, I, I believe that, that post-traumatic stress is an enhancement. I believe that my sense of urgency, because I don't think I'm going to live long because I've seen lives cut short you know, so many times. Like I can't imagine myself seeing my, my youngest son get married. Like it's, yeah. things that I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe that I'm going to be here that long. So I, I try to make sure that they're prepared for me to be gone. Try to make sure I've got the right men around my son and, and my wife so that they'll help mentor him and, and help if I'm gone. So the, these are things that, that subconsciously enter my mind all the time. So when somebody gives me feedback because something I wrote wasn't great, I am not BSing when I say I am very thankful for that criticism where a lot of folks, they, I think they're going to be held back. They're never going to reach their full potential because they're worried more about ego than they are progress. Or, or getting better. And I think that's something that, that you have got rid of a long, long time ago. You never would have made it as far as you made it in the special forces and the unit and everything else um, with, without that mindset. You know, like that's a, such a powerful thing. Yeah. I, I think the veterans, they have so many stories. Like you, you know how many characters you have in your head, Kyle? You have so many characters in your head because you've met them all. You've met them all in different Well, so this, the fiction book that I wrote is, is uh, I, was, I was like, man, I need a character. Well, so I just started using my friends. Yeah. And then I just left them as who they are. And they're such great characters, you know? And then I started calling them up. I'm like, hey, Butch, um, there's a character in my book, and it's you. And he's like, well, who is, what's the guy? Is he a gay guy or something? I said, no, he's not gay. He's freaking, he's you. He's He's absolutely you. He's everything that you were. Air Force dude, PJ from Wisconsin, all this stuff. And I go, so what do you want your name to be in the book? And it's been hilarious to hear these guys come up with these names. Like, you know, his real name is Butch McCumber. So he's like, well, I want to be Butch Wallace. But, but where does that, you know, where does Wallace, <laughs> Wallace where does that come from? You know? Yeah. So I've got, um, yeah, probably, but I, I, I made it something different there, but you know, some of these guys, I gave them their real names because they're like, oh, just call me Charlie Schmidt. I'll, I'll be Charlie Schmidt in real life and Charlie Schmidt in the book because I'm retired. So whatever. So some of the dudes are in real name and they're and it's actually, that's that dude. And it's, it's so fun for me because I can, I can picture them and I can hear them 
And when I write it, all I'm doing is just regurgitating what they've said yeah. or how they would say it. And it's just been, it's, it's a lot of fun, you know, and I don't know if anybody will want to read it, but it's a good shoot 'em up killer book, you know, and a lot of bad guys get killed and it's awesome. Do you go into the details a bit in, uh, in fight scenes? Yeah. That's cool. Man, it's so many things we've talked about. And I'm, I'm not saying this, because I, mean, I totally look up to you. And I have for years, way before we met. Um, and I, I also believe in telling me what you think and how you feel. You know, tell people thank you when you thank them for something. Um, and I've looked up to you and thought you've been a, a great role model and for, for years and years and years. Uh, but I, until talking to you in email and then here today, it's like, man, we there's a lot of similarities in, in the way we're, we're thinking about things and liking things. And uh, it's, that's really interesting because it's like, like you're using all those gifts and the resources that I, I don't say I got from the Marine Corps. I say I got from people in the Marine Corps, you know, a lot of, yeah. Marines, yeah. Um, a lot of individuals that, you know, greatly influenced me. And it didn't with also, you know, growing up and, and family with my orientation that, that Varg talks about, but it's uh, very, it sounds like a very similar orientation because you know, your, your process and your approach to things, you're, you're thinking about things, things that I, I think you truly value without me asking you just hearing like subtext of the things you're talking about like there's a lot of things that people probably think Kyle Lamb cares about but you're like I, I don't care about that like I care about these more important things over here you know, like, and I, that's, that even more well, one, one of the things that is crazy for me is that everybody thinks I'm a gun guy me too and I'm not a gun guy I love guns and I love shooting all guns but I don't, I'm not a gun guy. And that maybe some folks won't understand that, but I just don't, I can't tell you all the nomenclatures of the, every gun that the army or the Marine Corps has ever had. I just can't cause I have no interest in that. Um, but I've shot most of them and I do have interest in shooting. So I'm, I'm a shooter. I'm not a gun guy. You know, I just, I'm not a gun collector. I still enjoy the training side of it. Oh yeah, yeah. Seeing myself getting better, seeing others get better, and and, and seeing people learning and, and me learning, because I. So we got attached to Force Recon Platoon to do the Maritime Special Purpose Force, and with the Scout Sniper Platoon. So we were doing hostage rescue. I was riding up in rider trucks and getting out after a human guy delivered a pizza. You know, I, like there was just so much cool stuff I was doing my first year in the Marine Corps. Probably things you did the whole time. You know, you were in the Army. Um, doing hostage rescue and uh, oil platform recovery, VBSS, and I was around all these force recon guys who had, who had fought, who had, had been to small skirmishes, who had, had done some really cool stuff, and and they all were the same kind of people, every single one of them. Yeah, and I, I thought these guys were just amazing, and I was correct in thinking that because they are amazing. Um, and I would stand next to them and keep my mouth shut and just take notes and and learn from them all day, and they would just. They, they were like, we're going to make you – because we had like 42 guys in the platoon, and only nine of us made it through all the qualifications to be able to go into crisis site to be a trailer. Um, and I was one of those. So I got really tight with these guys. You know, we were trusting each other, and uh, they taught me so much. And then I, I ended up going to Paris Island to be a range coach because they needed people down there really bad. I just got sit down there. It wasn't my choice. And uh, I, I loved that teaching. I introduced the teaching, and then I got moved up to be – primary marksmanship instructor and I, I did everything in that whole pat pipeline and then uh, <clears throat> i go back to a unit and the gunner that they're in charge of like the units all the weapons training everything else in the marine corps 
um, they always would tell me to go out and teach a class, go do this, go teach that, go run this range for these people. Hey, I'm sending you to this school because this new program the Marine Corps is having. And so I got all these hookups because the gunner knew I knew what I was talking about, at least at the time I thought I did. Now I think I was wrong about everything. Uh, but I noticed one day I was sent out to help train a company. I was running their, every platoon through uh, an enhanced marksmanship program, a close-range shooting thing that was really new to the Marine Corps. Um, and I noticed all these guys were standing around me holding notepads, taking notes. Yeah. Like, like it, it came circled around to where I used to be that guy. And now these guys were standing around me taking notes. And I thought, wow, I got to up my game. I got to make sure that I am as right as I possibly can be because these people are taking in everything I'm saying and they're trusting that I'm right. And everything. And what a responsibility. That's when I really began to dive in. Well, and I think too, you know, one of the things that when I, when I look back at all the instructors that I worked with, um, that I was a student under, you know, I think even the guys that I don't think were good instructors, I learned from because some of the things that they did, you know, like, let's say that they were stuck, they were stuck in 1990 or whatever. Well, that what I learned from them is I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be stuck in 1990 or 93 or not whenever I want to make sure I continue to evolve with my training and, and my skills and, and the stuff that we're using, that doesn't mean that I can't pick up a regular M16A2 and deal with it or whatever, or 1911, but I want to move on to the, you know, and that's, so every one of those instructors, I think we can learn from. And the other thing that I've, I've really learned is I love to instruct. So it doesn't matter if it's shooting or uh, we had a group of guys come here. A couple of my buddies came to do a hammer in. So we're going to be forging and they get here and I go, what do you want to do? Well, we want to make Damascus and we want to do this, we want to do that. I'm like, okay. And they wanted to do stuff that I had tried to do and had some I'd had success, some I didn't, but they wanted to do that. So we made San Mai, we made Damascus, and then I taught them how to grind. Well, Ellen Elishwitz, who is a, I mean, he's like the the father of the, the tactical folder knife, you know, former Marine guy as well. Um he had came to my shop and taught me how to grind on my machines and how to, how to do this. So now I'm passing that along to these other guys. And I thought, here I am in my shop. And if I would have known that they wanted me to instruct them on this, I would have prepared a class. And so now I've been given it all this thought, like I've only been making knives for a little over a year, but I already have in my mind, if I was going to teach somebody like I wanted to be taught, you know, like when Ellen Elisha showed up, he didn't just show up and go, oh, yeah, bro, we're going to do. I mean, he had a one, two, three, four. Yeah. And he he didn't learn that as a knife guy. He learned that as a Marine and how to teach a class correctly. And when he taught me, it was, I mean, I was learning. And I was, I was, I mean, I was very sponge-like to learn from him. And now I look at it and go, man, I could teach guys how to make a knife. Now, that doesn't mean I'm an expert. That doesn't mean that I'm a master. That doesn't mean any of that. It means that I've listened and now if I want to pass that information along, I'm going to put it into a, well, I'm going to copy what Alan taught me because he's a great instructor. And then I'm going to take what I learned from this guy or what I learned from the internet or whatever. And that's how I would teach another guy to do that. So um, if you're an instructor, I think that's where some people, well, I'm just a shooting instructor. Well, no, not actually. I'm a tactics instructor. Oh, and then I could instruct a kid how to play hockey or I can instruct, you know, somebody how to make a knife. That doesn't mean I have to be the best. It just means that I'm going to take the time to, sh to, to show them what I can show them, you know? So, yeah, I think if, 
we've, we've hired some guys to work for us that some of them, it didn't work out because what they didn't realize was that if you're going to be a shooting instructor, you got to be on the range eight hours a day for five days a week. And they realized that they weren't shooters and they weren't instructors. They, they thought they were, but when they got out there, they realized that they were miserable. And, and then we were able to sort through the guys to get to the right people that are the right person that does love to shoot, does love to instruct. Uh, I'll give you an example. We had a, uh, one of the guys that worked for us. It was day three of a three-day class. It was the very last drill. And I yelled something from behind the line, you know, to switch knees. And then I walked up to the guy after he hadn't told the, you know, the student to, to do this correctly. And he goes, hey, bro, if he ain't got it on the third day, he ain't getting it. And I was upset because you don't know when they're going to get it. So I might have to have this guy in five classes. And in the fifth class, he finally understands. Well, guess what? As an instructor, I've got to be in it until the very last round of the very last day. Because one, I've got to be responsible for safety. But two, I'm responsible for learning. And you have no idea when that learning is going to take place. We can do repetition, repetition, repetition. And we're trying to teach them. But all of a sudden, boom. They're going to they're gonna figure it out, and they're going to learn, and then they're going to suck that in. That might be the very last round of the very last day. And I, I take that super serious because people, you know, it's one thing if I'm going out and I'm just hanging out with my buddies on the range, which I'm not very good at because I always end up teaching them something. Yep. But if people are paying me the kind of money that they pay me to, to, to be their instructor, I'm going to do it yes. absolutely to the best of my capability. This, I, I went back to, uh, I went back to, uh, I'll go back to Alan Leishwitz real quick. You know, once again, like you, he, he's a, a former Marine. Is that the right term? Former Marine? Uh, you can say Marine. If you want Marine. to say former active duty, that's fine. We're all, yeah. So he was, he's a, he's a Marine. He, uh, I get him on the phone. I'm like, Hey dude, you talked about, he's like, okay, here's what you want to do. And he talks to me for about a minute and he goes, just stand by. Boom. He hangs up the phone. Five minutes later, the videos start rolling into my phone. And this dude has in his shop, went to the dry erase board and he's done a class on video. This guy makes knives for a living. So he's stopping making knives for a living and he's putting together a video to send to me so that I understand what he's talking Can't about. Can't help it. He's a teacher. He's, a, he's an amazing teacher. So then the, uh, He's a, he's a, his mom is from Taiwan, I believe his dad was American. So he lit, he grew up in Taiwan, Philippines, Thailand. He's martial artist dude as well. So I decided to try to get him to do a class up at SIG, a knife fighting class or whatever he calls it, knife defense or whatever. And it was amazing. I mean, I've taken a bunch of knife classes and at the end of them, I'm kind of like, eh, well, I'll never remember any of that crap. I mean, it's just too involved. This guy, I remember everything. I mean, I may not be able to tell you the, the, the terminology, but it was awesome. I mean, his PowerPoint presentation was awesome. His demeanor was awesome. Um, his, his, his getting on the range and, and teaching us and having us beat the crap out of each other with these freaking dummy knives. I mean, all of that was awesome because going back, he's a great instructor. Yep. And if, if he's teaching somebody to make a knife, he's awesome. If he's teaching somebody to use a knife, he's awesome. 
he does some shooting on the side as well where he's instructing. I guarantee he's awesome at that too. You know, it's the, um, your, your guy that you said your instructor you had that, that said, Hey, if you hadn't got it by now, he's not going to get it kind of thing. You know, when I'm, when I'm mentoring instructors or I have somebody working under me with active duty or, you know, recently, um, the first thing that, that an instructor can't do, you can't ever make up something. If you don't know it. Yeah. Yep. Like, like that's the, that's the worst. Um, but when you know, I tell them at the beginning of the class, look, you paid some hard earned money to come here and hang out with me for two days. Yeah. You're giving up time. You're, you're giving up time. You're doing, you're making a lot of sacrifices to be here right now. And I believe that you're here not because of hate, because you want to get better at killing folks. You're here because of love, because you want to stay on this planet, provide for the people that you love, because you want to help them survive and you want to survive. You're here for the opposite of what some people say that we're, we're doing these things for. And because of that, it's my job. Like, I am letting you down if I let you get away with anything unsafe. I'm, if I let you do anything fundamentally incorrect and I don't say anything to you, I'm letting you down. Like, I, you're not getting what you paid for. So you can expect me to do that. And if you really don't like me making that same correction over and over again, just let me know. I'll do it louder next time. You know, it's like it's – I'm not just- – Well, I, I was just going to say exactly what you said, except I tell them, you want me to stop saying that, it's simple. Just do what I said. Yeah. And then I promise I won't say it again, but until you do it, I'm going to, I'm just going to be here. I'm not going to give up on you. And I've had a lot of students come up to me afterwards and they're like, you know, you said something during that class. You said that you're not going to give up on me that I've never heard anybody say that. And I told, tell them, well, I'm not because that's my job. If I give up on you, well, I'm a crappy instructor because Mm -hmm. man, everybody, everybody can learn absolutely everybody has a capacity to learn and and be successful i don't know i don't care what it is now that doesn't mean that you're going to be smoking rob latham on the line or you know be the next world champion shooter but you're going to be able to safely and correctly do what we're trying to teach you to do yep so i i got a quick i got a question for you and this this is kind of down that same avenue but it's it's a question that's been bothering me here in the last few years. How do we get dudes in our business to respect women? And I'll, and I'll, let me, let me add to that. So my wife runs Viking tactics and guys are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Oh, pat on the head. No, she runs Viking tactics. She's the CEO she runs it. She makes the decisions. I mean, we, we do some of those decisions together, but when it comes to like products, I bring a product and I get it developed to the point where we're going to, you know, go to the factory and we're going to get these made. But the person that decides whether or not it's going to happen, if I say, yeah, it's a product we need, if we can't get the right price so that we can sell it, well, then we don't do that product. And she makes that decision. But people continue like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. And to me, I'm telling you, it has it pisses me off so bad because if you want somebody that's the hardest working person I've ever met, it's not somebody that I had in the military or that I worked with in the military, it's my wife. And when I start looking around, she's not the only woman like that. So, did she raise our kids? Absolutely. Did she stay at home with the kids when they were before they went to school? She did. But as soon as they started going to school, she started teaching. She started doing uh, technology for the school system. 
anyway, my, I guess my question is, how do we get dudes to understand that that's a legitimate, that, that, that you should respect these women that are doing that? I don't care if, they're, if, if their job is being a mom, why would you not show them respect? Because guess what? That's the most important job on the planet right now is raising children. Dude, get out of my head. I say the same thing all the time. <laughs> exact same thing. Like being a mother. The, the, absolutely. I don't know the answer to that question. And I don't know if you can make anybody do it. Or even I think, I think this conversation and someone listening to it would influence it. There, there's this weird thing. I, I made a, a post. I mean, that's kind of what we do these days, right? When we're venting, you make a post somewhere. And then we're proud of this post that we made. Uh, we're so stupid. Um, but the, uh, it was about, you know, people say like, I, I get, oh man, that man gives zero F's, you know, or like, uh, like I got zero F's to give right And I hate that attitude. I think, I think a man should be measured on how many F's he does give and what he actually values the most and gives the most F's about not the fact that glorifying somebody because they don't give any F's like you're a sociopath, you're a horrible person. Yeah. What else are you failing at? Like that's this is not a good role model. But that's so popular in this uh, Spartan Alpha Mole on all the lobbies like culture that that we've got going on, especially in the group think online theater out there. Um, if you're not drinking bourbon and eating steak and um, you know smoking cigars, and, yeah, yep. like and, and shooting BH, like you're not a gunfighter. You know, it's like these these little clicks, these little things are none of it's important you know, in the grand scheme of things. But what you're talking about is, but then you don't want to go too far and pander because. Oh no. And that, and then, and I think that's the problem. Yeah. It's, and that's pandering is the little pat on the head. Like, Oh yeah, Melinda. Yeah. You're doing that. Yeah. No, no. She's, she's doing that and she can do it better than you can do it, bro. You know what I mean? That's, that's the thing. How do we, and, and maybe this is true in all other walks of life. I don't know, but I know in the gun industry, I get guys who are like, yeah, I talked to Melinda, but no, no, there's no but. Whatever she said is that's the that's the answer. Well, but but no, I said there's no buts. She said this, that's the answer. She she knows she knows how to order this stuff, and she'll tell you whether we can do it or not. I have no idea. It's not me. That's not my job. I stay in my lane. You know what I mean? And by the way, she's better at that job anyway. So there's why would I try to do something that I suck at? You know? Yep. So. Yeah, it's 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 it is it's just interesting. Um, I don't know. I just thought I'd ask you that question because it's it's something I think we all. Um, I mean, I, I the gun world loves their their they openly make fun of and talk crap about like gun bunnies, you know. But then there, you see the comments. Oh, stunning. You know, like, but, but then when they're around their buddies, they're talking crap about them. Then they're over here trying to chat them up at SHOT Show around Circle Bar. You know, so it's like um, there's a lot of that going on. So I, I don't know. I think there's a, a place for everybody. You know, everybody, um, there's a lot of females out there, shooters, that, you know, some of them may not even shoot guns very much, but they do stuff in the, the gun industry, whether it's, you know, modeling or whatever you want to call it. Um, and they're bringing a lot of folks over to us. You know, the people that may not have been a Second Amendment person and they get introduced to these people, you know, as much as Terran Tactical has done some pretty weird stuff uh, that I'm not crazy about, 
man, that man has has brought some celebrities that people look up to, and has really gave introduced the Second Amendment and the the fun of part of shooting to people who never would have seen it with some really viral videos and some really high profile people accepting it being a part of this and uh, done done a lot for it, you know. And so there's there's a lot of people where we don't give credit around people because a lot of the gun world is really good at, at tearing down everybody else's skyscraper so we can have the highest skyscraper instead of tying our nets together and reaching everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's, I mean, that kind of goes hand in hand with that. If you start looking at these successful gals that are doing it, that just be respectful of those ladies. Cause they're, they are, you look at um, like Lee Mitchlick can fricking shoot a carbine. Yes. Like nobody I mean, honestly, almost like it's just, it's amazing. I mean, she's just, she's a very, very talented gal. So, you know, show her the respect that you show to her dad because they're they're the same. I mean, to me, they're the same. I mean, I remember when she was five years old and I was at the range shooting with her dad and now she's, you know, 20 or whatever she is. And she's just an amazing shooter. She's, you know, fun gal too, but just, I, I guess my point is, I think sometimes it's um, there's some disrespect in our industry that just that drives me that just drives me insane. And I see it because I'm dealing with 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 my wife being in charge of this company. I, I think a lot of people out there they don't know what's good, you know, like in in shooting and training. They don't. They're like, oh man, I, I can come out of the holster and sub sub one second and hit this target at, at seven yards. Or I can shoot this two two four five six drill or whatever they call them these days like this fast and my split times are that and they'll go out there and work that thing that they're good at all day long and they they shoot like a lot of the the big Instagram people will have the same drill that they're doing because they're really good at that uh, limited set of circumstances type drill you know there's a, a friend of mine and uh, her husband was was killed a, a year ago yesterday in the line of duty but she's kind of fell off the the gun industry map a little bit she she's not really doing a whole lot anymore but. Uh, Corinne Mosier, I would put her up against any one of these dudes out there. Like I've shot with her. We took a, an awesome AK class from a former Spetsnaz guy together. Uh, she's taken my most difficult class that I have, Patrol Rifle Problem Solver, and she's just a freaking superstar, man. Like, and I'm not talking about just shooting guns good. I'm talking about thinking. I'm talking about tactics, movement, communication, solving problems with a gun in your hand. You know, like just um, she's a. a, a classically trained um, musician. So she's like, man, I, I've had violin teachers much harder than any firearms instructor, right? Like this, this stuff's easy. Right? Yeah. She's, yeah. She's a, she's a thinker and she, she, she work. I've never seen anybody work so hard on the range ever. And that's why she's so good. And you know, they, there's other people, there's a lot of women out there that I, that I think are great, um, good at teaching and, and good, at, good at shooting. But when you start introducing all the, the thinking shoot house type stuff, force on four stuff, um, some a lot of us men and women, you know, fall apart. But you know, like, Rand just calm and cool, steady. I bet her heart rate never even changes. Like it's, it's incredible. Guys, thanks for listening out there. You just heard from me hanging out with Kyle Lamb for a while. I've got a feeling that we are going to see Kyle again in the future, and I am looking forward to it. And until then, uh, choke me back up. Uh, make sure you check the show notes and everything else. I'll get links to Viking Tactics, uh, Stay in the Fight Foundation that you're going to want to check out, all that good stuff, and uh, how to go follow and keep track of Kyle. 
it'll all be in there. So go check out that at the Gun Mag Warehouse blog, The Mag Life, and it'll all be there. And uh, until next time, Mag Life out. <laughs>